Hello, and welcome to Big Fish in the Talent Pool with your host, Aaron Peterson, partner and global talent acquisition consultant with People Results. In each episode, Aaron interviews a corporate head of talent acquisition to shine a light on how they got there, what keeps them up at night, and their views on all the hot topics in TA today. There's nothing Aaron is afraid to ask because she's been there. Now here's your host, Aaron Peterson. Hi everyone, this is Aaron Peterson. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Big Fish in the Talent Pool. So here's the thing, being a talent acquisition leader is a tough job, and if that's your title, you need lots of friends. I hope this podcast will become one of your friends as we dive into the brains of the big fish in our industry and swim around a little with them, seeing how they tackle the joys and the challenges of leading global recruiting. Okay, so enough with the metaphor. I think you get it. Let's go and let's meet my next guest for this episode. For our big launch, I caught up with Tara Noonan Amaral at ERE. She's the SVP and Head of Talent Acquisition for Fidelity Investments. I've known Tara for a long time and I was really privileged to be able to pick her brain for a good hour and a half. Her career since graduating from Brown University spans 30 years with a focus on financial services organizations like J.P. Morgan Chase, Hewitt Associates, now Aon, New York Life, and ADP. She's held both client-facing business roles as well as internal corporate roles and had an interesting pivot into RPO. But here's what I love best about Tara's background. She's the embodiment of Sheryl Sandberg's lean-in concept. Tara has taken the hard assignments, overcome huge obstacles, led things nobody else wanted to, taken risks, and learned a ton along the way. We are here with Tara Amaral, the SVP and Head of Talent Acquisition for Fidelity. And we're just going to have a conversation and get to know what has been her experience in uh, working toward and attaining the head of talent acquisition role for Fidelity. And so welcome, Tara. Thanks, Erin. It's great to see you again. Um, so it's interesting. When people ask me about my career, I'd love to say it was planned, but it was completely unplanned, um, particularly my transition into talent acquisition. Um, which really came as a result of somebody taking a chance on me in um, transitioning from line business leadership roles um, to work on a fairly global HR project during a time of huge change. At, at the time was Chase, became J.P. Morgan Chase. Okay. Um, so that was really how I call myself an HR convert um, because I had 15 years of line management experience before I moved into HR. Okay, and so what was that line experience? Like, so functional? I came out of college and worked in not-for-profit, um, uh, doing fundraising, which is sales. Uh -huh. um, and then I transitioned to Chase, where I was um, in sales in an alter alternative branch, and then went on to several years of branch management, building branches, and either taking on branches that were going through massive change. Um, I then went from retail to, inst to institutional client management, um, where I was the relationship manager for large mutual fund companies. So again, taking um, relationship skills and just applying them in a different place. Chase at the time was a very big fan of what we now call latticing or laddering an organization. Not every job is up, but you go over and gather experiences. Eventually that turned into um, a move as an internal consultant where we were being trained in um, Six Sigma, Black Belt Certified. Um, and HR was one of my clients that I was um, aligned to. So we were going through a globalization process. And I now say I was fortunate enough to be, have been put on a re-engineering project at the time 
um, right before the internet started, so it goes back a long time. Mm -hmm. um, and it kind of got me hooked. We really went through a lot of business models that showed the value of talent and how having a great recruiting process could really help a business um, exceed their business goals. And that came out of a re-engineering project that came out for of the business? For the business. So it started off as, as we said, Heritage Chase, and then through the J.P. Morgan merger, we reconstituted a joint team, and then through several mergers after that. Um, and so each company had a different culture and a different process, so we had to keep aligning systems and processes. So okay, so you were was great. with J.P. Morgan for almost 20 years. Almost 20 years. And it was really at the end of that 20 years that you made the jump over into talent acquisition? It was in the last three years. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So what were you thinking at that time? Were you thinking, this is my new career, this is my new path, or were you thinking, oh, I'll check the box and we'll see how it goes? So I wasn't really sure, but the interesting thing was in the internet space, so much of the new technology was actually focused on recruiting, so a lot of the first HR um, cloud-based solutions or even client serve at the time were really HR candidate facing. So it was a great space to be in. Everything was new. We built the company's first um, career site. So that goes back a pretty long time. You know, we got off of paper job postings right. onto job boards and everything else. Um, I wasn't really sure. Um, my dad got sick and I, um, I left the firm um, to t help him close his businesses. Mm -hmm. And when I eventually decided to come back to work, I was trying to think about what did I want to do. And the talent HR space and recruiting in particular really got me excited. And so when I, you know, after about six or eight months, I decided, okay, I'm going to go back to work. My kids said it's enough time at home, Mom. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of where I um, migrated, and I've stayed ever since. Okay. So what's interesting to me in that story is the connection between sales and recruiting. Yes. Because I've always felt that recruiting is the sales part of HR, and you kind of have to be a salesperson in order to love talent acquisition. You don't have to be a salesperson to love the rest of HR, but you have to have other skill sets. So do you think that was the linchpin for I, you? Or? I definitely do, okay. because I've been selling since I think I worked at my first ice cream store when I was 14, <laughs> right? So you're always selling something. Yeah. I had summer jobs that I was selling. You know, I worked in the food industry for a long time, yeah. so it was about sales and customer service. Um, I do think it is. In fact, this summer at Fidelity, we ran a contest because we are very much a relationship-based firm. Um, but I wanted to infuse a little bit more sales salesmanship. So we ran a contest this summer um, to help with our health advocacy. So we had an app where everyone had the ability to sign up for a walking challenge. Okay. And off the top of my head, I think we probably circled the earth three or four times <laughs> with okay. about 60 to 80 people across. Uh, we had the India team involved and the U.S. team. And we had a leaderboard. Um, and we ran two-week sprints to see if the sales culture and the competitive nature could take a hold in our recruiting organization. And they were competitive from day one. Um, and so yeah. we're starting to bring this forward now as we've gone through some uh, significant changes on our approach having um, talk tracks when people are trying to pitch. We're trying to teach our managers that their responsibility is to sell the organization as well because candidates have lots of choices. Right. And so I think it's really starting to um, take hold. Okay, exciting. Okay, so let's back up here in terms of your current role. So we're, we're get, kind of getting into now the fidelity role. Um, just kind of give us uh, size and scope of your responsibility. So how many recruiters, how many business units, how many employees, how many hires? Sure. You know, a few numbers. So Fidelity is a global firm. We are private, so we don't share as much information um, as maybe some of our other publicly traded firms. But we are about um, just under 50,000 employees worldwide. Mm -hmm. 
My scope of responsibilities is primarily for domestic and non-asset management. In the branch network, the branch managers have a responsibility to recruit local talent because they are hubbed around the city and I've, there's a leader who oversees that process. What we do from the center in our talent and leadership team is we actually provide all of the engines for the firm. So we're the ones that are vetting the technology, the social media policies. We do it in a matrix fashion. So we're going out to asset management, India, Ireland, China to say we'd like to do these things. Or they may come to us and say we have a great pilot. Can we pilot here and then bring it back to the US? So it's very much a functional team. Um, we have a team currently of about I don't know, uh, 89, 95-ish, depends with, with some seasonality. Um, and that's just on the recruiting team alone, not the social media team. That's another um, 10 to 15 people between project management, technology process, and those sorts of things as okay. well, benchmarking. Good. So it's a pretty robust team. Um, they're uh, distributed across the United States. We, tr we have them, uh, we place recruiters in hubs when we have substantial hiring going on. Mm -hmm. um, and so we do try to get some both business alignment and geographic alignment as well. All right, so we talked a little bit about uh, metrics and sort of you know size and scope of responsibility. Now I want to go way back, Brown University. Okay. Um, one of my favorite sources, I've recruited over the years a number of people from Brown, and the reason I love Brown is because the people who come out of Brown are wicked smart and a little bit quirky. <laughs> this has been the, the, the theme that I've seen as I've uh, met a lot of people from there. Uh, what was that like for you, especially back in, what, late 80s or something? Yeah, yeah. thanks, yeah. early yeah, 80s. You're welcome. <laughs> um, so it's funny, because Brown, I think, is still viewed as a very liberal school, and I think it really lives up to the tenets that they recast the what they call the new curriculum back in the 70s. Uh -huh. um, the new curriculum is now several decades old, but the school really does aspire and deliver on come to learn, and come to learn many different things. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, I went in as a math major, and an applied math major, and I came out as an interdisciplinary major because mm -hmm. I realized at some point I, I said, okay, I don't just want to do math. I need to take more advantage of the curriculum. And so I took art and semiotics and uh, physics and other things that I did not have to take as part of, my, as part of a math degree. Mm -hmm. And the school really does do a very good job of making sure that you're not coming out singularly focused. Um, you can, um, but they really make it hard to, unless you're maybe you're an engineer. So true liberal arts. True liberal arts. And um, recently, I had the ability to go back. I participated in a senior leadership um, program at Fidelity. Uh, one of the journeys that we took was a visit to the Brown and the RISD campus. Um, for a day of exploration. And it really, we, we um, it's all about creative thinking. And Brown and RISD actually also have a partnership. You can get a joint degree. Okay. Um, and you can take classes. I took printmaking at RISD when I was at Brown. Oh, wow. Um, and so one of the things that um, it was great to see my colleagues, have my colleagues at Fidelity, is I didn't have to explain myself anymore after they spent the day on the campus. In the art gallery, we, we saw, um, Similar to the LinkedIn map, where it, it charted the courses that the students took, it looked like a spirograph. Wow. Or like a LinkedIn map. That, cool. that was really lived true to what they're trying to do around diversity of thought, the diversity of experience. Right. And it was great. Interesting enough, we joke, I was in a forum with some uh, colleagues um, who are also Brown grads, and 
to your quirk your quirkiness comment, um, we tend to tr switch jobs twice as often um, as other schools. Wow. But it's not just jobs. We actually switch careers. Okay. So we kind of reinvent ourselves over and over again, um, twice as often as other Ivy League grads. Okay. Yeah. So it makes a case for true liberal arts where you better know a lot of stuff. Exactly. Because you have to reinvent yourself. Or you will tend to reinvent yourself. And, and I think it's that idea of we're naturally curious, and so yeah. learning doesn't stop at college. Right, of course. Very cool. All right. So you've spent most of your career in financial services. Was that always the plan? No. In fact, when I was at Brown, I think it was the last place right, I ever thought right. I would go. So <laughs> I, I think I boycotted the career services office when I was a senior. And in fact, I went to live in Italy. Okay. Um, and ran away, as I tell my kids. I went to live in Florence for um, more than a year and nice. then traveled. Okay. Um, no, it wasn't the plan. I started, when I came back to the U.S., I started in fundraising for public television in New York. And then through networking, um, landed in an unconventional job at Chase, where I was part of a, a one of the first tellerless branches where it was all about relationship selling. So I really did not want to go into financial services. Oh. It's a model that they've just reinvented, have redeployed as I walked into a, a local Chase branch. How about that? Um, so Everything old is new again. Exactly. <laughs> um, and then I, you know, I, I really don't think of it as financial services, sales, it's been relationship management, it's been operations management yeah. in the financial vertical. Um, and when I, and one of my other assignments, I actually had multiple clients in multiple industries. So yeah. a lot of what you do in talent acquisition is transferable. Um, mm -hmm. And I think sometimes um, financial services today is more of a challenge because it's not viewed as, um, as attractive as it once was. Right. All right. Well, it definitely goes up and down, that's for sure. Yes. And, uh, but in any case, great experience. And uh, so tell me about the um, current role that you have today, the percent of time that you spend on talent acquisition strategy versus tactics. You know, we've, we've all uh, aspired to become more strategic, to automate the things that can be automated so that we're not so tactical. And yet, um, you know, I think there's value in knowing how to do the nuts and bolts. So you tell me, how, how much of your time is spent in both areas? So I actually spend about 30% of my time in the tactical, and then the rest I try to spend with clients or understanding what's changing in the marketplace. Um, and the reason for that is, I believe I need to know enough about how the re recruiters are working today to understand what can we improve. So I'm having um, lunches, focus groups, site visits, asking questions about what makes their job difficult. Um, and there are some themes um, around automation, too many tools, how do I get it all done, I can't get feedback, I want to do more sourcing. So we've been working on then some strategic programs to make it easier for recruiters to do their job. And more importantly, make it easier to get our brand out in the marketplace for the types of skill sets that we're going after. Okay. Um, and that's why I spend a lot of time um, in the marketplace to understand what are the tools that can help us do that. Um, what's our messaging? We recently went through an employment brand exercise and involved our associates on what is it like to work here mm -hmm. and what should we be messaging in the market, and we're testing that as well. Okay. Um, so it does run the gambit. And I think the other piece um, we work on a lot in partnership with our clients is what, is what are their talent needs, right? It's not about just filling jobs, but how do we get, you know, three months, six months, two years ahead of what they're looking for? So some of the more strategic projects around emerging skill sets are we starting relationships at the right places now for what we don't know we're going to need 18 months from now? So that's really where I spend a bulk so of my time. So does that mean predictive analytics? 
We, or? we do have an internal people analytics team that is, mm -hmm. is taking a look at some of our legacy data and understanding how our jobs changing. Okay. Um, and that's been a startup over the last few years that's been very effective and has influenced a rebuild of our employee referral program, um, a rebuild of the colleges that we go to. Um, and then on the flip side of that, we're trying to work more closely with our business leaders to say, if we're going in this direction or you're automating certain jobs, mm -hmm. what are the skills that you need once the automation is done? Okay. And so if we're recruiting on college campuses or from competitors, let's talk about what's changing because the jobs themselves are changing. Right, right. Oh, my gosh. And it, it's never enough, right? Absolutely never, not. You're only as never. good as what you did yesterday right. in the talent acquisition space. <laughs> what keeps you up at night? Um, so this is one of those spaces where there's never really enough hours in the day. Um, and in every single market, Fidelity um, has significant resources. We are below the national unemployment rate. And in most of those markets, we have been a solid employer for 20 years. Right. Um, and so it's really hard as a private company um, to get our name out there. Mm -hmm. um, we're what we call, we do the humble brag. We, you know, we're not buying billboards. We're not running ads about employment. Um, and we're not top of mind. Um, we are, in fact, a financial services company that has a huge technology infrastructure. Um, a third of our employees are technologists. And so we joke on my team that when I go to a college career fair, I am literally between Facebook and Google because they set us up alphabetically. <laughs> and so the students that are not standing on our line at the same depth that they're standing on Facebook and Google. Sure. So we're always having to um, amplify our brand, and we've um, really established a social media campaign to do that. What keeps me up at night is we are in a highly regulated industry. And there are just certain things that we're not allowed to do that all of our competitors can do. And so we're in very competitive labor markets. Mm -hmm. We need the same skills that every other firm needs. And we have licensing provisions that really we're trying to take people out of a secure job, convince them to come to us, and take a risk on their future. Right. Um, so those things worry me. Yeah. And what about the licensing aspect? I mean, it's it, there's never enough people with licenses, so you have to actually pay for them to learn. Is, yes. is that all part of your workforce plan? That is all part of the workforce plan. We partner very closely with our um, largest client, Personal Investments, to um, work through um, the recruiting process. We've changed it tremendously in the last 18 months. We've actually had an agile scrum team that's been charged with fixing it, um, and it's resulted in changing the profile that we go after, changing the tools, um, streamlining the interview process. We're introducing a new invitation where we're sending uh, candidates the equivalent of an electronic invite, to which gives them all of the details that they need about their interview process. So we're really trying to make it much um, shorter, clearer, and clarifying roles and responsibilities of the recruiter and the hiring team. And it's, the cool. results have been very impactful. Yes. I want to get your opinion on technology. So especially, you know, the thing about being a head of talent acquisition, which I've experienced and I know you have too, is that you get barraged every single day from all the vendors out there. And there's some that are very valuable and some that aren't relevant, and you have to sift through and figure out which ones are the right technologies to actually pay attention to. And if the world were perfect, personally, if 
as a head of talent acquisition, I would have one headcount on my team dedicated to just sifting through all that and bringing to the team what's most relevant. But that's not realistic for most teams. You don't have the headcount for it. So tell me, how do you deal with that? All the people coming to you every day saying, you know, pick me, pick me, use my technology. So there's a, there's a few things that we do. Um, we did go through a diagnostic to understand what was broken. Um, and we did go back and look at all of the things we had already purchased and to make sure that we were optimizing them. So we weren't just buying you know, the new shiny penny. Uh -huh. um, and that in itself led to significant improvements, um, sim process simplification, um, and just getting everybody refocused on things like data quality, which ultimately drives a lot of our success. Yeah. Did you have external help with that? We the did. Um, we did. We had external help with a small partner, okay. um, and I recently with somebody said it was the best actionable consulting advice we ever got. Wow. Um, and we're about eighty percent um, through the recommendation implementation process. Wow. So it's been very, very impactful. Mm -hmm. It's helped us redesign the jobs. Um, redesign the focus, pull administrative work away from recruiters, mm -hmm. um, figure out what can get automated. Um, yeah. And we've done this without adding incremental headcount. So we've repurposed some jobs, um, but really we're able to align the right resources to the right work. And as we look forward with our clients, we now have a better plan for who has more mobility internally. And so we, we align recruiters that are strong at that to those businesses. And those people that have to hunt a little bit or hunt a lot for talent, we give them different tools based on what they need to know. So when we're looking at tools, it's not necessarily a tool for everybody. Mm -hmm. It depends on the type of recruiting they're doing. Okay, interesting. Okay, are you willing to name names? What are your favorite technologies right now? What, what do you think have merit? Yeah, so I just got back from HR Tech where I was um, intrigued by some of, the, some of our partners who were there and some that are emerging. And I think one of the things that we're trying to understand is what role artificial intelligence can play. So we're not currently using anyone, but there were one or two vendors that are really strong in this space, and I think they're on the watch list. So I don't want to give them away. Okay. Right. Um, the other thing is we do have a place for texting. Um, and so we've just completed a pilot um, and are going to be going to contract. So again, it's we've found in the pilot process um, the candidate responses have been phenomenal. The okay. speed to be able to do things like answer basic questions, schedule interviews, um, even though it's work that the recruiter has to do, everyone seems more satisfied in the decrease in response time. We're talking yeah. minutes from days. Yeah. So that ultimately right. has an impact on the time to fill. Right. And then I'm a big fan of um, searching your own ATS. So I put a challenge out to the team earlier this year before you go and post, search the ATS. Come, mm -hmm. Let's come up with the strings that we can do this overnight. And you always hear, oh, you can never find anybody. They did. We've made you know several hundred hires out of people going back to the basics. But at HR Tech last week, I saw many more tools that can do that for you. Right. And okay. so we will start to look at those. Right. And that, I think, are there's good areas. So the mining your own data. Mining their own data. Yeah. And then one which has gotten a lot of um, airplay is we, did, we are a big consumer of digital interviews. Mm -hmm. And I know candidates have a love-hate relationship right. with the process. Yeah. We have found that there is significant improvement in the cycle time. It does create an even playing field for people going through the process. Mm -hmm. And we just turned on the ability to have a do-over in the interview oh, process. Okay. And we're hearing anecdotally that candidates feel better about okay. that.
So we're, we're hoping that improves. But that has taken days off of um, the review process. Think about a 20-minute phone interview into a three-minute higher view video, and the candidate gets a chance to tell us anything they'd like that the que our questions didn't answer. Hiring managers tell us it jump starts the next interview for them. Right. So it's great. Yeah, uh, the digital interview I've used before, too, and I love it from the perspective of being able to give the hiring manager literally a real shot or, or snapshot of who the candidate is without the interpretation coming through me as yes. a recruiter, right? Because let's face it, we all have you know, filters and biases. Um, but there is a candidate ex experience component of that, and I just, you know, we're here at ERE, and so we're hearing lots of interesting ideas. And I just attended a presentation where a recruiting leader was talking about that they actually have a tutorial online of how to conduct a successful video interview presentation. And so there, you know, this this kind of use of technology, but then the transparency that comes around it seems to be the next thing that's p pushing forward. Does Fidelity have a, a sort of a here's how to do it successfully kind of a thing? So we have a here's what to expect. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. It does not specifically go through, although we do give you a chance to practice before you start the interview cool. as well. And then the do-over. And then the do-over. Super. Okay. <laughs> very, very kind. Yes. <laughs> very kind. I hope you enjoyed hearing what Tara had to say about her experience in financial services, what keeps her up at night, and her insights into the latest technology for TA. Check out part two of three to hear more about her experience in RPO, her leadership experience, and what it's like to be a woman executive in a male-dominated industry. My thanks to Todd Raphael and the ERE team, Caroline Boucher, marketing guru for People Results, and of course, Patty Johnson, CEO and fearless wavemaker at People Results. Without them, Big Fish in the Talent Pool would not have happened. Until next time, in the words of my friend Dory, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Big Fish in the Talent Pool. This podcast is independently produced in collaboration with ERE.net, and we would love to hear your feedback. You can email Aaron directly at E-P-E-T-E-R-S-O-N at people-results.com. You can also follow Aaron on Twitter at Erin McPeterson, connect with her on LinkedIn, and learn more about her practice at people-results.com.